it's Sunday, June 6th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, your favorite player on the IL? Well, you can take comfort in the fact that injuries are up all around the league. Bob Brenly will be joining Tom Brennerman on the broadcaster bench while the San Francisco Giants recognize gay pride. The Astros are good again, and it's creating a problem. And a young woman named Montana Fouts does something that hasn't been done since 1912. The all-star ballot has been released. So where does Chris Bryant play? The Cleveland baseball team is close to picking a name, and we'll look back on the career of Mike Marshall. We'll talk about the Cubs and the Sox, and our popcorn segment is on the Sidney Lumet Classic, 12 Angry Men. Tommy, how we doing? I'm telling you, I've been busy. I'm working harder than an ugly stripper. <laughs> well, today is the anniversary. It is, uh, it is June 6th. That's this right. is the anniversary. I want to I mention that this is the anniversary of D-Day, yeah. of the Normandy invasion when the Allies, the, the French, the Canadians, the British, and the American uh, forces landed at Normandy and began the invasion of Europe and, and, and effectively starting the finish to the end of the second world war in Europe. So, you know, well, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because absolutely we want to recognize that I'm somewhat of a student of uh, world war II, but specifically this event, I read a couple of books, including um, Stephen Ambrose's uh, uh, D-Day book, which is a book of 600, 600 pages about the logistics, about everything that was involved. But there was one great story, and it involves the second wave of guys hitting the beach. And basically, at this point, it was a meat grinder out there. You yeah. know, you 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 know, if you survived, it was somewhat of a miracle and luck. Omaha, two, beach. Omaha Beach, specifically. Yeah, exactly, specifically Omaha Beach. And these were American soldiers that were wading across the water, and there was two guys together, and they were looking up towards uh, the bunkers and 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 the pillboxes up on the top uh, of the hill there. And uh, one guy said to, to the other guy, he said, uh, what do you see? You know, you see anything? And the other guy goes, I'll tell you what I see. I see my mom standing on the porch holding up my insurance policy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's... And, it, I, and I always thought that was like, whoa. <laughs> if you were even thinking like that. Yeah, because it was brutal. That was uh, one of the more... I mean, there were in a war full of, you know, really brutal moments. Yeah. That, was one of them and you localize that omaha beach during the normandy invasion. the other the other beaches you know there yeah. was some combat there was some you know but yeah. but it wasn't like omaha beach that was really the the, the, the you know the the, the the british uh to a certain uh, to a lesser degree did not face the meat grinder that the americans did but the canadians get the don't the canadians effort on juno beach or whatever further down yeah. the shore uh, as they repelled up the cliffs was extremely important to kind of putting, putting the cr crunch on the, uh, the Germans. Uh, anyways, so uh, kudos to them. It should also be mentioned that Dwight Eisenhower that day, as soon as he gave the order to, to go to invade, yeah. he went out and composed a letter to the president and to the press saying that basically in the event that it had failed, yeah, right. he wrote out a letter saying the, that. The Great Crusade yeah. that well, you're he, embarking upon today. Not that one. This is in the event that the the the, the invasion yeah. failed. Right, 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 right. The entire fault, the entire responsibility, the entire failure rests with me. Correct. And I just that's a little something that we don't see a whole lot of right now. Well, not just that, but I'll you know I'm I'm not a Republican, but but Dwight Eisenhower, a two-term president, maybe had the greatest resume that any American has ever had. Yeah. You know. Besides, first, exactly, exactly. It just everything he did, he excelled or was the best at, and you know he was a great American. And and this was a, a very important day, even though it took months before they really before the Allied forces um, were able to. You know, it, it only went into the it, it went into the winter into the Battle of the Balls before they actually were, you know. Uh, vanquished, if you will, but uh, it's it was a very important day, um, and I don't think even as it occurred, based on what, as I recall, reading newspapers on microfiche of the days, that even the news was caught was caught up to just how big this was. It wasn't till later that people realized what a what, what a logistic. Uh, a masterpiece that the Allied forces put together. That's why the Germans lost. 
They could and, not. They could not keep their supply chain, and the, and the and the allies could. Allies could, yeah. So, so, so uh, what, what I understand you're, there's some diversity and yeah. uh, and equity uh, symposium. Now, first of all, if there is one of these. What do they let? Do they let Italians like you into these types of things? I know. Do they let us in? Do they let entitled white guys into these things? But let me tell you something. So I, I just want to begin this by saying I'm on vacation, bitches. <laughs> so I'm on vacation. School is out for the right. summer. I will be teaching summer school a little bit, and that is a little bit of the story I want to tell you. So yeah. school's over, and our district got a grant. Uh, and they put together this uh, diversity and symposium and equity, diversity and equity symposium. Yeah. They were asking the teachers the week after school ended to attend this thing. Okay. And basically it's nine to one in the afternoon, all on Zoom for four days. Okay. For four days. That's ridiculous. On your vacation. That's ridiculous. And I'm no sorry. one is signing up for it. And it's not because we don't care about diversity and equity. Right. Correct. Don't want to sit on a Zoom call exactly. for another 12 hours. Right. We could be doing stuff with our kids. Okay. I'm going to be taking my kids to camp. Right. Okay? I'm going to but it's, it's not just that. It, it's, it's Zoom. You yeah. guys have you guys had to live in Zoom for the last year and a half. People are tired of it. I don't want to live in Zoom, but 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 this goes into something else that happened because also this week, because I'm teaching summer school, I had to do a Zoom training for about an hour on some of the activities that we'll be doing. Okay, so we're gonna be having kids in. It's not like summer school putative. This is more like a yeah. recreational social thing with some activities and, okay. So they go through the whole presentation. They say, this is what you'll be doing. These are the materials they'll have. Then they go, now, does anybody have any questions? Now, mind you, these are the same people who put together the diversity and equity. <laughs> okay, mind you. Now, I go, yes, I have a question. And I tap it into the chat. Um, will these materials be made available in Spanish? Many of my students will be dual language students. I'm a certified dual language teacher. Will you have that? And they go, oh, what, um, yeah, we could maybe, we'll try to get them to you. And I go, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, no, you know, it's not a problem. I can translate, yeah, exactly. I can do this, but, but it begs the question. And I didn't say this, but who really needs the training, pal? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, what? where's the diversity here? And, you know, what you're going to force me to go to Google Translate here? And here I am advocating. Yeah, right. right. On behalf of the diversity. Exactly. For the equity that my students require. And you want me to go spend 12 hours of my summer, you know. Uh, Leo, Mr. Fontana, there's no fighting in the war room. <laughs> and I do want to say, by the way, you know, I, I'm not mad at them, but right, it right. is a contradiction. They're not bad people. I'm not a bad person. Right, right, right. right. It, this is not malicious. It's just yeah. the world we live in. It's just going to be uncomfortable for 50 to 100 years. I'll bet you in the next century they have it, all this stuff figured out. Yeah, this will all be figured out. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I really believe that. It's just a shortcoming, the shortcomings to the age we live in. Well, now it is time to open the bag of peanuts, Tom. Stay away from me. Wendy, darling, light of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains. I'm going to bash them right the fuck in. Don't hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. And speaking of hurting, uh, there's a lot of Major League Baseball players who are hurting like heck. And uh, there's a lot of injuries happening. And we're talking about injuries to star players, guys like Mike Trout, yep. you know, were injured. And, and and Jason Hayward just got back off the IL too. So, so did Jacob deGrom. Uh, so did Jacob deGrom. That's right. That's right. And the Mets have been riddled. You know, the Cubs have, have been hit hard. The the White Sox, I mean, my God, yeah, they've had yeah. Olympic injuries. Yeah. So, yeah. so what, I mean, is this a trend? What's going on here? Well, the, the New York Times really does a, a, a great job. James, James Wagner, I think, was the author of yeah. really kind of talking about the cause and effect of the truncated 2020 season on the bodies of all the major leaguers in respect to having 162 game seasons to, that they have to endure this year. And what they said was roughly, and I did not know this, roughly half the players, they're, they're surmising, Worked their asses off during the downtime of 2020, but the other half did it. 
Like there was a fair amount of players that just when prior to the 60 game season starting, they didn't do anything. They, yeah. they, they did what a lot of human beings do. Like, Hey, I don't have to work. I'm taking a nap. And then, <laughs> and, right. And, and, and so it's it, what the fact of that is today is something that in the article, they talk about these soft tissue injuries that are occurring. And while hamstring injuries are way down, which is good because they're doing a really good job of, of basically coaching and, and having these physiologic, uh, physiology guys uh, on the team that are on the, on the payroll, helping them with this, but they can't control um, basically what's going to happen to humans um, when you do certain types of things. And because baseball has these quick, violent moments of the pitching, the hitting, the running, uh, you know, the turning around and weird, it's always going to lend itself to more injuries. What, what they're basically saying is this should be, uh, normalized by next season, but there could be a lot more before the season's out. As, right. as, a, yeah. okay. as a fantasy baseball manager, it's maddening to me how many of my players have been on the IL this year. I'm maddening. I mean, so, so I, I, I've been kind of following this, and, and, but this article kind of crystallized it for me. That is interesting. And, it, and what it's doing, too, is it's, it's giving a lot of guys a chance. Yeah. You know, it's giving young guys like your mean Mercedes – and Patrick Wisdom yeah. are getting a chance to play exactly. in the games, and they are taking advantage of it. That's I mean, right. no, that's not – no, not every team is going to have that, but, you know. But that's, but that's what it is. Opportunity knocks, and some of the greatest baseball stories are absolutely filled with things like this where guys came in um, unknowns and, and made names for themselves. And there's just as many, if not more, where they did it. That's what makes it so special. So um, – you know, injuries are, are, are something. And par- part of it, I think, is that um, we got a breaking news last night that the major leagues are going to start to strictly uh, enforce foreign substances. And, yeah. and, and yeah. so... The use of foreign substances, this is a big, big deal. And I am going to be very interested to see how this happens. Now, they said they would do this at the beginning of the year. Right. But we've really not seen anything other than the we've seen Genesis Cabrera yeah. stopped by Joe West and right. have to change his hat. And the other thing we saw is that some balls thrown by Trevor Bauer That's were right. taken out. That's right. So it's it's, all, it's almost been subterranean the way that it's existed within the game of baseball. It's it's like underneath the surface. Like what are we going to do? I mean, how is this going to work? I mean, are umpires going to? talk to pitchers, examine pitchers before they start the inning. I mean, you know, that's pretty draconian. Well, they have to have a state trooper there with them with a rifle. All right, son, show me your glove. Right, <laughs> right. It, it, it's going to become difficult. Um, I think it's the right thing to do. I think baseball has to do it. Um, but I also think it's another one of those things that in 50 years, it'll all be resolved. We're going to have to live through this, unfortunately. And I think that it's going to slow the game down. That's what I, the, the game has this issue with the outlaw, not for me, not for you, but we're not, I'm not preaching to me or you. We're, we're fans. We're lifelong fans, no matter what baseball does. You know what I mean? Our toes still tapping, no matter what baseball does, but the casual fan, the accidental fan um, may, you know, flip the channel when there's a break in the action because, Oh, you know what, that we've got to confiscate these various items or the managers are going to like contest this. There's all of this time that's involved. So there's that. Um, but it's the right thing to do. I think what baseball has to say is, like you were talking about how umpires rub the balls with this mud. Yeah, right. I, I think they have to come out and say, this is what you can do after we deliver these fresh baseballs to you. Yeah. Right. And these are the things you can't do. And, and anyway, because I think it's going to get really gray when guys are like, hey, that's my sunscreen. I can't. I know I'm sweating and it's my sunscreen. I'm sweating. I'm, I'm hysterical and I'm wet and I'm hysterical. As soon as the guidelines are there, right. we're going to be plotting ways to correct. To... Yeah. It just, it, it just seems like, like you said, why didn't you start at the beginning? There's so many questions that, to, to ask here. And so, but this is a big, big story. And if I was certain pitchers and those are the ones that have those big white dots on their hats, I would be slightly nervous. Yeah, maybe. And, but I'd be nervous too, if I was hitters, because a lot of this, they say, goes back to the control that the pitchers have yes have a a good grip on the ball you know there are some hitters who might get killed you know what i mean so there's the flip side of that and and the pitchers 
you know, as a species have kind of let that out. They're kind of like a mafia guy. Hey, well, you know, yeah. you don't want us, let us all sorts of terrible things can happen, you know? Exactly. This you know, is the so, life you chose. <laughs> <laughs> so, so have you heard about uh, Bob Renly? This oh, yeah. He has been, he's basically taken himself out of his broadcasting duties for the Arizona Diamondbacks because he made a remark during a game where uh, I think it's Marcus Stroman is the pitcher for the Mets. They're playing the Diamondbacks and the Mets have that 34 patch on their sleeve to commemorate Tom Seaver, you know, and, and Brantley says, Oh, is that the same? Uh, I think that's the exact same do rag that Tom Seaver wore. Right. Right. Trying to make a joke now, which in 1995 would have been hilarious, but it's not 1995. Not 1995. Now, when I first heard that, I'm like, well, that's not so bad. You know what I mean? That's not such a bad thing. We don't have to get all crazy about that. I mean, it actually could be kind of funny. But then the power of context comes into play. Correct. And, and we start to understand that that Brenly has had kind of a past. A, where, a big past. A big past. And, and, and I'm disappointed in myself because I watched Brenly do the Cubs for years with, uh, with Len Casper. And I never felt like he was particularly rough on black or Latino players. Right. Really critical in a way that I felt like there was something racist behind it. Yeah. Now, Aramis Ramirez will tell me differently. Correct. And, and when I heard what he had to say, I listened, you know, I listened to what he had to say. I did and, too. And, 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 you know, Bob, I think maybe you do need some time off. You know? The part that that's kind of disingenuous about this story, and, and I, this is very complicated. There's a lot of ins and outs and what have you to this story. Um, but the, one of the bigger things to me is that, Bob, you were raised this way. You have, you have your worldview and it was formed in your childhood by your parents. I've guaranteed, I bet your father talked like this or, or some important uh, authority figure in your life. This was years to, 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 to create Bob Renly. Do I think he's malicious? No. Do I think he thinks that he's doing the wrong thing? No. Is he doing the wrong thing? Yes. Are his words, can they be malicious? Yes, they can. That's the complicated situation here. So when he says, I may a couple. I'm going to take a couple of weeks away and go to diversify training. That to me is like, the, 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 but, but this is to me like the show Intervention. Intervention's been on for like seven years and they've had hundreds of interventions where they take somebody who were, you know, addicts of some sort and put them in a 28 day program or something with a little bit of aftercare. 95% of them, um, you know, go, go back to doing drugs and stuff. And, and the reason is, is because Bob, you're not going to learn how to unhate in two weeks. It's impossible. You have to spend, a, you have, to, I really think that it will, and it, 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 that doesn't mean he shouldn't resume his career. I'm just saying it's kind of disingenuous to say you're going to a diversity training, just like we just talked about the diversity training. It, it's, on spot. Right. Well, it's just, just because it says diversity, doesn't mean you're you know what I'm saying? It, it just, it, it, it's so, a lot more needs to be involved. I, I think when these type of infractions occur, even, and I would say it to Brenneman too, you should go out and do something to the gay community, or you should go out and, 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 and be an advocate to show in something meaningful. Um, you know what I'm that's saying? Like right. that's, that's a contract. That's a mea culpa. It's, it's one thing to, to talk the talk. One needs to, one needs to be seen walking the walk. And you have to show that you're an ally. And that takes years and years and years uh, to, to sort of establish. You know, I think part of this, too, is that if he's been doing this kind of thing for a long time, because maybe he's in Arizona, you don't hear the complaints about it. So that's a good point. Probably that's true. Well, it took it took Stroman to tweet about it. That's what started all this. So yeah. you're right. There is there is that that whistle, that dog whistle silence that exists in most white Americans. That's for sure. But, a lot. But what's also interesting is how Strowman learns of it. I mean, is yeah. it some black guy, right. Mets fan, who's watching the Arizona Diamondbacks right. because he lives in Colorado? Or you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
and, and his tweet was very classy. The way the way he yeah. did it, he's like onwards and upwards. You know, we we you know basically let's get let's get old, let's stop doing stuff like this because this isn't really much different than what cost uh, uh, what's his name uh, Imus his radio job. Uh, yeah. If you think about it, it's the same kind of thing. But these guys don't think they're being malicious. That's my point. That's why this is a complicated situation. Well, uh, another situation, and this is sort of trending towards uh, some positive information that is, is happening, or sort of positive in the in the in the terms of being supportive front. The San Francisco Giants are going to wear special uniforms to honor Gay Pride Month. Right. And basically, we saw this last night because they tried this out against the Cubs. They had these caps, and you have the SF logo, which is usually brown. Right. But instead, it had stripes from top to bottom from the from the Gay Pride flag. Right. which I thought was kind of a nice touch. And I think that it's good that San Francisco is the first team that does this. But one thing that I also find fascinating about this is we still have yet to find or hear of an active homosexual Major League Baseball player. Right, right. To this day. I mean, we've heard about guys who are gay. Correct, after, correct. Retired. Well, well yeah, once well, his name actually died of AIDS. I can't think of his name. It was Glenn... Uh... No, I, I yeah, but it, but but you're right. That no one's fessing up to it, and you know that there are. That's because well, because just use the number, the percentage that represents a society. It, it would it would the same would apply here. Um, it, you know, San Francisco has a huge gay population, huge, maybe the biggest in the United States. And, you know. So they they kind of have to do that. You know, I think that it's just this is one of those things is that. You know, it's going to be complicated for people that are against this kind of stuff for whatever religious reasons, political reasons. But get ready to the this is the new norm. It is. The I, new think, norm. I think you're going to see all kinds of stuff. like that. I think it's good. It's good for baseball. It's good for San Francisco. It's good for gay rights. And uh, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the Giants. I just wish the Cubs played better there. Yeah. But that's another story. And now, by, by the way, the Giants are on flipping fire. Let me tell you, that's a very good baseball team. Very good. We'll talk about that in the Cubs discussion. I have my suspicions about that. But the Astros. Speaking are, of suspicions. Yeah, speaking of suspicions and allegations, the Astros are good again. And uh, Neil Payne from 538 pointed out that this is kind of becoming a problem, that they had kind of, throughout the 2020 COVID season, they'd really kind of fallen off. And they just barely qualified for the playoffs, woke up during the playoffs, made it, to the ALCS and lost a dramatic uh, seventh game. Right, to the Rays. Tampa Bay Rays. Yep. But uh, but now they seem to be this year in 2021 up to their old tricks. And by old tricks, I mean they're at the top of the standings, you know, and uh, doing in all In all those hitting categories. And, but, you and, know, first of all, shout out to 538. That's one of the best websites there is, yeah, I think. Yeah. And, 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 and they really kind of show that um, – you know, Houston was in a flux last season and it showed in, in their results, even though 60 games is just a, a small snapshot. Uh, it appears as though the, the uh, you know, Houston hasn't lost a step. I'd like to think that Dusty Baker gets some credit for this. Um, you know, I, even though I think they're still the most despised team in baseball, that hasn't changed. And I, still, and I still think that they're, they haven't done the full tour of the majors yet. The season is, you know, it's, it's a quarter over or whatever, almost half over, but it, 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 I'm not a fan of the asterisks. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, yeah, and I won't be a fan of that team until every single person associated with the it is is dead and their houses are burned to the ground. Right. I mean, a reporter has to find that day when finally, you know, the, maybe it was the traveling secretary, the assistant to the traveling secretary, you know, when that guy finally retired, right. you know, then so, every. Baseball needs some good news, Leo. Give me some good news. Oh, What's I've got good... good news for you. Have you heard of Montana Fouts? I know I have not. Montana no. Fouts is a young woman. She's a pitcher for the Alabama Crimson Tide in uh, softball, big time college softball, and she just pitched a no hitter in the co in the women's college World Series. Now, that would be great enough by itself, and there have been twenty one no hitters in the women's college World Series, but. Miss Fouts accomplished the feat on her birthday, and there has not been a no-hitter in any level of baseball, softball, or otherwise since 1912. Wow. 
Yeah. I did not know. That. Is she related to Dan Fouts? I know, I know, or Hannah Montana. You know, <laughs> that's a stretch. But but it was George Mullen of your Detroit Tigers. I, I know. I've heard of George Mullen. And you actually went to that game, didn't you? I mean, yes, I had his tobacco card. <laughs> so, but they beat the Browns in 1912, and it almost happened just the other day when Freddie Peralta took a no hitter, I think, into the ninth on his birthday. Wow! Yeah, so that happened. That just almost happened. No hitters are nothing anymore. I hate to break That's the bad news to you. They happen every other day. That's not. It's still not. No, I don't. I'm being, I'm being facetious. But uh, but now the All Star ballot is out, and and you and I always will go through position by position. Right. That, that won't be on this particular show. That will not be on this particular show. <laughs> we'll do that later. But that's but, a tease for our fan in France. <laughs> but but the the ballot is indeed out, and yeah. uh, you know I'm, we're not going to go through the players. There's no. one question I have though. Right. I, yeah. Where do you play Chris Bryant? Because Chris Bryant has played how many more games in the outfield? And at first base, and he has it at, at uh, third base. In fact, I don't think he's played first base until early April, since early April. Yeah, base. third yeah. base. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think, but again, I'm purely selfish because I want to see Bryant actually get into the lineup. Because yeah. if, if he was a third baseman, he's not going to start. There's, there, there's, you know, you got Arenado. He's he's going to be well, locked up. Not having that good a year. I mean, no, I know, but he's the he's a defensive stud. I'm just saying he's a fan favorite. Brian, take one of the outfield positions and be damn glad you're on the in the he's no, no, right, correct, correct. It's gonna be third base. He's not gonna make the game. He's not gonna or they'll put him on the roster, but he's not gonna be the starter, I don't think. That's the contradiction. I mean, he won't it's gonna be hard for him to get voted in as best third baseman if he's not playing third base, you yeah. know. And, uh, but anyway, so that should be kind of fun to watch. Keep your eye on those uh totals. Now there was an ugly incident. In the minor leagues, yeah. a pitcher by the name of Tyler Zombro, who pitches for the uh, Durham Bulls, was hit in the face or in the head right. by a line drive by a, just a guy ripped it right back at him, yeah. and it was one of the scarier injuries we've ever seen on a baseball diamond. Anyway, yeah, no doubt he he collapsed really awkwardly. And then he started twitching, which is I've seen prize fighters do that before. And and typically that that's, you know, a brain uh, malfunction. They they tended to him right away. But it, it never, ever is good when a baseball player is stretched off the field. It happens in football every game. But in baseball, it's 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 a very unusual thing. And so our, our face mask cages, the next thing that's going to happen, because in the majors, there was I think. A couple of years ago, I can't think of the guy's name. I think it was on Toronto. Basically, got knocked out the same. He turned out to be okay. Amazingly, the, 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 the human body is is resilient. That's what I'm. That's the lesson I've learned. Well, but that was a scary situation. And then Kevin Pilar for the, for the Mets got hit right in the yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are and you'll notice if you saw the 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 Montana Fouts thing. Yeah. That she was wearing a face case. Yes, yes. And, yes. Uh, which I thought was interesting. And that maybe that might be coming up for major league players. You're just something, at least maybe a helmet. Something. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. And and you'll st- I think you'll start to see this, a lot of the younger players um, be used to this type of thing. It's kind of like when they introduced helmets in the NHL. They grandfathered all the old guys to say, oh, you don't have to wear a helmet. But every young player that came in, because they started wearing helmets at age four, it's the same thing here in baseball. You know, it, you'll see the young players driving it. But speaking of young players, and, and, and also on my roster, tell us about Cabrian Hayes. Brian Hayes is my vote for – he was my prediction for Rookie of the Year. He hit a home run for the Pirates, okay? Yeah. The Pirates aren't very good. But his father, Charlie, who I saw play many, many times. Yep, yep. Char- Charlie Hayes. Charlie Hayes, and that was really cool. I mean, um, you know, uh, there, there moments like this, you know, should never be forgotten in the context of our lives. I mean, the fact that he gets to see his son do that. Correct, correct. Son, by the way, looks like a great kid. Really if, he, if he can stay on the field, he can't win rookie of the year because he's missed too much time, at least at this point. But if he has a fantastic finish, he could. So he's a great young talent and he's on my team. So I'm a big fan. All right. So now did you hear where Nick Castellanos? Yeah. Uh, he was on a podcast and he right. said he didn't care. 
whether or not pitchers use these foreign substances. And I think yeah. that that was kind of taken out of context if you distill everything he said. Right, right. Part. And that kind of is, I think, is a reflection of the attitude that he carries with him when he, when he hits. Correct. He's very reactive. He doesn't look at a lot of scouting reports or pitching trends or whatever. He just kind of, he sees the ball, he hits the ball. And uh, so I can see where he would say that. But, but I think if you dig a little deeper and hear more of what he was saying is that he thinks it's going to be impossible to enforce. And he was echoing some of the problems that you identified, you know, that, that, that how are they going to be able to do this effectively? Because pitchers will find a way around it. Right. You know, Nick is a very thoughtful man. And you, what you said at the beginning is absolutely right. This is a typical case of the media cutting to the chase with a soundbite. They yeah. took a very well thought out response that he had and cut it really into a couple of words. And so my takeaway on this is that, first of all, and also Nick is batting 340 or something like that. So he doesn't care what, he doesn't give a care what you throw put on the baseball. I'm hitting it. Uh, so I don't think it impacts him one way or another, but, but I thought that the, what he said and what was reported were two different things. That's just a kind of a media issue. Um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of Nick. Like I said, I, I wish the Cubs would have resigned him. I really do. They'd be a much better team. I, I don't, well, anyway. yeah, you're probably right. Now the Cleveland baseball team yeah. is close to choosing a name. And what and the reason I submit I submitted three suggestions, so I hope they, that mine is one of them. Well, I mean, can you take your time? You know, why don't you take your time with this, Cleveland? I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what so, I'm so I just I, I just want to say what my you know I, I had some suggestions of names. I came up with the Cleveland Whores, <laughs> but but maybe that's a little harsh. Or this is good, the that's Cleveland harsh. Clan, and the Clan is spelled K K K. K-L-A-N. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or the Cleveland Knuckle Scrapers. And again, it's my kind of way of saying exactly what you just said. Cleveland, what are you doing? What, yeah, you, uh, come on. Yeah. What, are you going to make a contest out of this? This is, this is just disrespectful. The whole thing is... I wouldn't say it's disrespectful, but... The I problem, would. <laughs> it's disrespectful that the process has taken this long. You know, and it's, it's become like a car. It's, it's like a carnival now, though. And that's the part I don't like about it. But so you're telling us you're well. You've been close for about three years in terms of change. Yeah. yeah. Get, it, get get it done, please. Now, um, we're going to close our around the league segment with um, Mike Marshall. Yeah. At 78, was the first relief pitcher to win the Cy Young Award. He's just passed away. Yeah. And uh, he's not a Hall of Famer. And I was no, 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 no. looking at his Baseball Reference pitcher. A page, a baseball reference page. Yeah. And, you know, he was a very, very interesting relief pitcher and somebody I think in his best years is somebody you'd want on your team. And he was also one of the most annoying guys that ever lived. I mean, uh, the fact is he pissed off people everywhere he went. But for a brief period of time, including the year that he won the Cy Young, which I think he was 14 and 12. Again, he's a relief pitcher. And he was 14 with 21 saves, but he was 14 and 12. It, it, it appeared uh, over 106 games or 106 games. He, he actually appeared in that season over 200 innings as a yeah, relief. Right. It, it, these are all phenomenal numbers, but he was the type of guy that uh, like when he was being interviewed, um, he, you know, uh, he just would, he, he would do stuff that would to reporters. Right, to reporters that was just, you know, disrespectful so for example uh, a sports writer said how are you able to do what you're doing right now you're going to break down marshall replied hey it's simple if all you have to understand is what the latimus dorsi muscle can do for you and if you get to use the triceps brachy and the inner tears it's right there and then he'd walk away yeah right, right. what the what a, come on what? i know i know i know he didn't like reporters he was yeah. smart yeah he was steve carlton with a brain Teammates didn't like him. Correct, correct. That's the part. But uh, but yet, for he and and also in two thousand and one, he still thought he was the greatest relief pitcher that ever lived, according to him. Like he just was kind of a disagreeable guy who was in academia. He was smart as a whip, and and, and he would and he level and you know he was smart as a whip, and he would use that intellectual whip to beat you with it. That's the, the to a certain degree. What's interesting is about what I find fascinating about Marshall is that he's the last right-hander that I can think of who threw a screwball, you know, 
there were left-handers who throw screwballs. Yeah, right. But, but there haven't been a lot of right-handers, and that's a breaking ball that breaks away from the left-handed. Correct, correct. That, that would a be curve a curveball, curveball too. Curveball. Yeah. The opposite away. direction of a curveball. Exactly. So, you know, I'd like to see that sort of revived, but I'm sorry he won't be around to sort of usher in that era. Right, or to complain about it. But anyways. Complain about it, exactly. <laughs> important thing. So uh, let's move on to Chicago baseball now, and yeah. let's talk about the Cubs. And the Cubs are turning out to be a lot better than everybody expected. And this is in spite of the fact <laughs> that they dropped three to the Giants in uh, at Pac Bell Park. But but this is not what we expected this year. We expected no, no, no sort of be around 400 in terms of their winning percentage and they would kind of trade off some of their assets and sort of replenish the farm system to maybe be good in another maybe two years you know but that didn't happen and why has that not happened Tom what what is the reason for that you're right the expectations were relatively low even though I think Percota had them at 85 wins which to me which we both thought that was high we thought it was going to be around 80 or 78 to 82 range um, I, it, it's a couple of, it's a couple of things. They're in a quagmire too. We talked about this last week because they got to make a decision on Brian. And if they're playing so well, you, you're not trading a guy away when you're in the, in the thick of things. If you, if you, the interesting thing was I broke down the team. They're, um, 14 and 12 against teams over 500. They're, uh, 22 and, and, and 12 against teams under 500. They're playing basically the same way. And until they ran into the buzzsaw that is the uh, San Francisco Giants over these last three games where they got kind of slapped in the face a little bit, they, 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 dude, they, they took the wind out of the Padres' sails. That's, really saying, that's, that's saying something, man. I'm telling you, that, that was not – it's still early in the season. It doesn't really mean a lot of stuff, but what it tells me is, is the Cubs can compete. The Giants obviously can compete, but the Cubs have a tough decision because I don't think they can be sellers at the break, at the, at the, at the deadline. I, I just don't, I think they have to. I don't think of, they can either. And I think they have to really think about signing. Brian. Now mm -hmm. they have to think we got to keep Brian. Right. We, we probably should, we have to keep Baez. Yes. We probably should keep Rizzo and the asset that I would trade as much as I would hate to do it, would be Contreras. And that's only because we're catcher rich in, a, in, in, the, uh, in the team. And you're right. I still would get rid of Rizzo only because he's long in the tooth. But, but, I, but I, I think you're right. Uh, directionally, you are correct that the, the, the Cubs are going to have some tough decisions. And, and it's, this is unexpected, but I would just want to reiterate this. Rossi's got to get some credit. I think he's he been he's yep. done a tremendous job. And to your point earlier, he's got to be a candidate for manager of the year with that Absolutely. team. And, Absolutely. No, he's been he's been a breath of fresh air. He's given that club what they've needed. I think a kind of a tough love. Yeah. And they've responded. And and I think it's good. And they're feisty, they're angry, and they compete. And what's what's also interesting is fundamentally, they're very sound. They play baseball. They right, exactly. They're to hit to the opposite field. They are intending to take pitches and bases and play defense, you know, that, that we always criticize Baez for swinging at everything, you know, and always well, going. He does, a, he does a lot, but, yeah. but what they've done is they've changed the rest of the lineup to be more contact oriented, which allows Baez to do what he does and just roll the dice, take your chances, try to hit one out of the park. You know, and as a result, what does he have? Like 14 home runs? I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. he's having, I mean, he's having a really good year. But but did you see also, I wanted to mention, did you see there was a kind of a bit of a, a of a to-do in the Cubs dugout in San Francisco between Anthony Rizzo and um and Wilson Contreras? And Ross got in between them and he walked Rizzo backwards into the clubhouse. Yeah. You know, did you see that? I, I didn't see it live because these games are too late for me, but yeah. I did. I did read about it. Yeah. Well, what, what's interesting is, is that because of COVID, we don't really have a clear idea of what happened. You know, they, they totally downplayed it. Oh, I'm just having fun with Wilson and we understand each other. We love each other. There's no, no problem. But if reporters had been allowed in the clubhouse, you know, they can talk to other players and they can kind of get a sense unofficially of what was said and what happened and why it happened. And that's kind of what COVID, COVID has damaged our ability to really understand what that was all about. 
There, there are skirmishes within teams all the time. Usually they happen in the in behind closed doors. And so just it's only because we saw a piece of it. I don't think I think it's a nothing nothing deal because all all fiery teams are going to be fiery with each other from time to time. I chalk at at, at my age and being a, a former manager, sometimes you just got to let things play out. You know, you you just you know life goes on. You have an issue tomorrow. You got another game to play. Time to time to to uh, make up and let's get back out there and win. And I think Rossi is the perfect temperament for that type of behavior. I think all teams go through this. I really do. Hey. One one sort of notable statistic, Jake Arrieta, yeah, 8.26 ERA in his last six starts. Correct. He looked Correct. awful. He, he, he has looked awful, and I think that, you know, he it, – it's like – I hate to say this, but like, like a typical Republican that he is, or a Trump not, – not Republican, Trump supporter that he is – He's just full of excuses of why of why this is happening. A lot, a lot like a lot of old. To me, like yeah. To to me, he is a on his best day an eight and twelve pitcher. What you get from him are starts. Like he will actually pitch, even though he throws way too many pitches in the early parts of games. But he's always done that, even when he was a Cy Young Award winner. I just think if there's cognitive dissonance between Ariata, what we know, and what he thinks he is. Uh, because he he's like I'll be back there next the very next start and I'm like I don't I'm not so sure about that Jake I I, I think Arietta is interesting because when the weather is is cold when it's cold and the wind is blowing in and he's at Wrigley yeah. where he knows how to pitch where he knows where to pitch you know he can be successful but when you p- pitch in a place like Pac Bell you know with that huge outfield. You know, he's not striking guys out. And when they're making contact, especially Pac Bell, balls are falling in and runs right. and scoring. Right. Now, I also, and this is the thing about suspicions in the Giants, which I alluded to earlier, I think the Giants are stealing Steins at Pac Bell. Wow. Wow. That's that's a that's a serious uh it is that's it is. a serious charge that you're making here. Look, I can't prove it. I'm just watching the game yeah. and I'm seeing they are teeing off on everything yeah taking close pitches they're taking breaking balls and they are jumping on fastballs and yanking them to the pole side now i also thought too you know that this was a function of that ballpark that they're playing in where you know left-handed pitchers had a huge disadvantage against right hand like right-handed hitters yes crush always the left-handers and vice versa the left-handers were going to kill the right-handers you know and it was happening on both sides to a degree because the Cubs were getting some good swings in too well Jack Peterson put one in the drink did he put one in the water you know and and you know the Cubs lost a close one last night and they need to win one today yeah just safe agreed just the same but 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 this is a tough trip I also think it's indicative of the fact that the Giants, even if they're not stealing signs, they know how to win in their ballpark. Yeah. You know? Well, the- you know, the Cub the, the Cubs are coming home to a full house. Yeah. Because on June 11th, uh, Chicago's fully opening and they'll be at 100% capacity at Wrigley. I think that's going to impact the Cubs play as well. Big uh, big time. The Cubs are a monster at home yeah. because of the crowd. Correct. And if that's at full capacity, teams yeah. are going to come in there and it's just going to be you know, yeah. you know that Wrigley Field will be back, or Wrigleyville will be back when people start pissing on everyone's lawns. Exactly, exactly. Then I'll know that the virus. <laughs> now, my question to you is, Tom, do you have tickets yet? I, I no, but I'll go because, you know, we have the Bishop's t- uh, tickets from time to time. I'll get to a couple games this year, but I'm not – really interested in being at the first couple of uh, super spreader. I mean, games. (laughs) (laughs) So what's going on with the Sox, Leo? Well, the Sox, you know, now the Sox are getting slapped around by the, by the Tigers, but they're still firmly in first place. Maybe not as, you know, if they had done a little better against Cleveland and they hadn't lost that game to a rain out, you know what I mean? That they have to replace part of a five game series in September you know, I'd, I'd feel a lot better about their chances of winning the division. They're still in a strong place. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. They're going to win that division. I, I really do think they will. And they will qualify for the postseason. I don't think they're going to go much beyond that. 
but you're still saying, a really fun team to watch. You've been saying that all year. I, I'm not, I don't know that I agree with you. And the reason is, is because I have my own little power rankings and they're number two on my power rankings next to the Dodgers. Even though the Dodgers aren't even in first place, they're not even in second place. They're still the best team in baseball. And the reason is if you get into a short season or, or a short a postseason, They've got Bauer, they've got Bueller, and oh, by the way, they got this young kid called Kershaw. And I think that those three pitchers pose a deadly problem for every team that plays them for that reason and that reason only. I don't care if they don't even hit the ball because they have those three lights out pitchers, and Kershaw's the number three guy. Oh, that's the thing about that's the thing about the postseason is that yes, these guys are monsters, but Asking a monster to deliver three or four or five or six postseason wins may be too much to ask. For the side, you might be you might be right because they don't have that big front three. They have basically Lance Lynn, and it turns out Lance. Oh, no, they're better than that. Giolito's Giolito. He's on my team, and he's about to hit my bench. I'm tired of his inconsistency. I'm being honest with but you. But his ERA is really low. I, I mean, that I must be something for you. Yes, to a certain degree, it's just he's been a huge disappointment because Lance Lynn is the number one pitcher on that team. Uh, well, now, right, today, right for now, today, today, that's what we're talking about is today. But uh, they have, they have, I think, they have competent pitching. I would say it's not, it's not as good as the Dodgers, but I'd say it's among the top maybe seven rotations in baseball. You know, they're they're pretty good. Their bullpen isn't what they thought or what they had hoped it was going to be. No. You know, like the Cubs, the Cubs had this, I don't know, they, they managed to cobble together a terrific bullpen, but but the the White Sox, who they expected the yeah. bullpen to be good, has not been as good. So that's kind of one of the weird things about baseball. Yeah. You know what's a weird thing about baseball is the story of your man Mercedes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just and Tom, what do you mean by that? <laughs> but a dum-dum. Um, uh, it looks like he's maybe coming crashing back to earth slightly after his torrid start um, where he was rookie of the month. And um, and you and I talked about it, and I've, I'm not mistaken, go back and play the tape. I said this was going to happen, that he would revert to the mean, and that's beginning to happen. That gives LaRusa a lot of time. I mean, it, it, you know, if he wakes up, it, it, it gives him a lot of time to um, either – you know, bring another player in, but maybe slowly start to limit um, uh, Mercedes' bat at bats. That's what Sparky would do. Or he would basically give him the ultimatum: keep you have to consistently hit to stay in the in the lineup. That's just baseball one hundred and one. It is baseball one and one hundred and one. And 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 he, but he did have a walk off hit Friday night. He did. He did. That ended an zero for twenty five slump. And by the way. A lot of people are making the connection between LaRusse's discipline and treatment of Mercedes to his slump. I don't think one necessarily has to do with the other. I do think that he would have, you're right, he would have cooled off. I, I don't care who he is. He's no. going to off. But, exactly. but it is interesting that it really began to happen after LaRusse kind of told him to go sit in the corner over swinging at a 3 0 pitch. Right. You know, I, I will say that when LaRusse did that, Baseball became just slightly less fun for Mercedes. Uh, yeah, and for everybody too. And it's like, yeah. you know, I, I wish, you know, why I, I wish the Sox played more day games. And the reason is, is because usually during a day game, there's a happy hour somewhere. So he's missing for a little while. And that's when the Sox really start to play better. I, I think he's a hindrance. I'm being facetious, but, but I think this was, a, this was just a mistake hire and, um, they're so good they could win in spite of him. Let's put yeah. it that way. And I hope that they do because I have a lot of their players. They but. may win because they unify. You know, they 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 unite in their hatred of him. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and just sort of at the absurdity of it all. But on the other hand, <laughs> then he will do something. Larusa will do something or say something that I have to give him some credit for because what he does do very very well is support his players. He supports yeah. his players and he talks yeah. about how great they are and how hard they work right. and how much, you know, and yeah. he empowers them in another way. So there's good and there's bad. There's absurd and then there's logical. So, you know, but did, but did you also see that your mean Mercedes, he has finally caught, he actually spent some time behind the plate. Right. 
series in, in the Detroit. Well, just look, just look at Adam. I think he's spent a considerable amount of time around behind the oh, plate. Now, but we can. But honestly, I guess I'm going to have to go to diversity training for that. <laughs> Hope they got a good, uh, you know, a good salad bar. But but he was brought onto the roster as a third catcher. Right. You know. No, I know that. No, it, right. It, well, it was uh, Eloy Jimenez is the reason why he's on that. that and when Jimenez gets back, which maybe sooner rather than later, they're going to have a problem as far as where to put Mercedes and. Catcher may be the better spot because honestly, what do you think of of Yasmani Grandal? Not a lot defensively. He's terrible. He's, what, you know, you know my feelings about him, but he's a very good hitter though. So he needs to be the DH on that team. That's what I think. Great catcher as long as he doesn't have to catch the ball. Okay. Well, no, no. It's the one thing he does well is he catches the ball and frames it for a strike. Right. Don't ask him to block a ball. Don't ask him right, to retrieve right. the ball behind home plate. Don't ask him to throw a runner out. Now it's time to put away uh, the uh, peanuts bag, and it's time to open up the popcorn. Ever since you walked into this room, you've been acting like a self-appointed public avenger. You want to see this boy die because you personally want it, not because of the facts. You're a sadist. <laughs> you don't really mean you'll kill me, do you? Kids, you work your life out. Not guilty. Not guilty. That's the great Lee J. Cobb from the movie 12 Angry Men, which is the highlight of our popcorn discussion. Tom, this was your selection, so I want you to talk about why you chose this movie. Why do you think this is a great movie? Well, um, uh, this film, which was made in 1957 by a very young Sidney Lumet, um, let me just for our listener out there, give you the story. Basically, a trial has just ended in New York City, and a judge uh, uh, kind of uh, gives these 12 jurors their instructions. The jurors have to decide whether he's guilt, the, uh, the um, uh, defendant is guilty or uh, innocent, but if he's guilty, it's the death penalty. That, that, and, and, and the judge, as Ebert kind of correctly points out, kind of almost does it like he does it all the time. It, it was like he was bored with the whole thing. Next thing you see are the 12 jurors inside of this jury room that seems to be getting smaller by the minute, this room, and hot as all hell. And they, they begin to adjudicate this man's life. And they start, as most juries do, with a, an informal poll. And the informal poll to start the, their deliberations were, 12, or were 11 guilty and one not guilty, one juror. One of the things that's great is nobody has a name. You're juror one, two, three, four, five, six, and they sat in that order throughout their deliberations. And so this is a taut, uh, great film that may have been best picture if uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai didn't exist, which was the other one that was up for best picture that year, which was a better picture. But 12 Angry Men is a an efficient little black and white Hour and 30 minute, which by the way, I love hour and 30 minute movies. They're fantastic. And it's just, it was well staged. It, it was ex extremely hot. I actually had to put a fan on me while I was watching the movie. <laughs> well, there's some great performances. And, uh, you know, at, at juror number, I, I forget what number it is, but it's Henry Fonda. He's eight. He's eight. Juror number eight. He's the dissenter who, who votes not guilty. Yeah. And he basically methodically convinces these other 11 jurors yeah. vote with him. And everybody's got a role, a story. And you're seeing some of the great uh, talent from film that day. And you're seeing faces you've seen your, your, you know, all of our lives, like Jack Klugman is in it and Lee J. He, ironically, Klugman was the last juror to die. They're all dead now, but, he, dead. but, but he was the last one to, to go. Wow. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a great movie, and I'm really glad you chose it. And I've seen it many, many times. And what I love about this is that, you know, how many Sidney Lumet movies have we reviewed this year? At least. Yeah. But this is his first film. He had been in TV. Correct. Correct. Fonda, Fonda hired him because he was efficient and he came in under budget. That's right. That's right. That's why he was hired. That's why he was. And, and he did a great job. And, and. 
you know, we read the Roger Ebert review of this movie and the movie begins with camera shots looking up at the jurors. And then well, but before that, it looks up these great pillars and there's this line in, in, the, in, in one of the New York courtrooms where, or court buildings, justice is the firmest pillar of good government. And this really is a film about justice and the fact, in my mind, it's not whether this person who, we don't know that he's Hispanic or Italian or they did that on purpose and, and he could very well have been guilty. But the fact is the trial, they have to judge reasonable reasonable doubt and did the lawyers do a good job in convincing that based on the evidence that they had to, to deal with and so that's really what this is about and that's what Fonda kept saying he kept saying I don't know I, I just don't know because they were like what do you mean you don't know you know he goes there's just questions that I have and he, like you said he kind of slowly starts to to reveal them. and the fact that he's so calm and Cobb and Ed Begley, who plays yeah. this old racist guy, by the way, father of Ed Begley Jr. Um, and a great character actor in the 50s, does a phenomenal job. One of the last holdouts too, but just disgusting stuff that I think rings true today. This film, by the way, I hate to say this because we have a theme today, is used in diversity trainings. It's used in business. In fact, I, I saw a clip of this in, in something that I went through like 10 years ago at, 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 at Monera Solutions. So it, it's just um, it, this, and by, I think it's been remade a couple of times. Lamette owes his career to Fonda. He put him on the map and Lamette went on to some great films, Dog Day Afternoon, um, Prince of the City, which is a film no one ever talks about. I'm a huge fan of. So. Yeah, so it's just it's just a it's a classic film, but is it Citizen Kane? No, it's not. It's ninety eighth on my list, but it's a it's a great film. That's that's my. So let me ask you this: of the of the twelve jurors, okay, yeah. let's eliminate Henry Fonda because he's the massive star. Okay, so of the other eleven, right, who's your favorite actor out of that group? Well, this is a slam dunk. Lee J. Cobb. I love Lee J. Cobb. And here, <laughs> one like is an aside because there's a really old man that is, is kind of the voice of conscience. He's almost plays the Jesus character. Um, <laughs> and, and But when I look at some of these actors and I think today, John Fielder too, he plays the nebbish little guy. Uh, you would never be in films today. None of you guys. I looked at Lee J. Cobb's face. They did a close-up, but I'm like, there's no way you're in a film today. And, and, and that's sad because those actors were phenomenal. Jack, War Jack, Jack Warden. Warden was in everything. Correct, correct. All the Woody Allen correct. movies. But you, nope. you you watch movies today, I don't see those type of... There's some, but it's just not like... The, these guys were titans, and to me, the top of the list was Lee J. Cobb. Last year, or one of the years we did On the Waterfront, he was an, he was a star of that film, in my yeah, opinion. He was. He was don't you see? They're dusting off the hot seat for me. You know, he, he had a way of just... Of, of, of expressing explosiveness without being overly loud about it. It's just a weird trait that he had. It seemed like he was always pissed off whenever you saw Lee J. Cobb. And this film perfectly uh, showed that he had made up his mind, maybe even before the trial started, based on some racial things, his observations of the case. And he, no matter what, the facts that Fonda was producing time after time, it would not shake him until... Pretty soon it was eleven. It was eleven to one, not guilty, and he was the only one guilty. And that's when the film hits its, you know, it's it's just a dynamic conclusion. I, I thought it was a wonderful film. No, it really was. And and but then each one of them plays a really important role, like E.G. Marshall's role as the as yes. the intellectual voice of reason. Never cool. takes his coat off the yes. entire trial. It's ninety degrees in that room. I, I was like, whoa, that's impressive. You know, so but uh, but but Jack Warden is the one who really resonates with me, just because yeah. I, I just have seen him in so many things. You know, he says right. to John Fielder, Baltimore, Baltimore, <laughs> and then he starts calling him Baltimore. He was a big Yankee fan. Baltimore had just come into the American League at that point, and, right. and so it, there was just these all these little things that just were you know fantastic. <laughs> That is this movie or, or whatever. It's done as a play in high school. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. And there's so many ways you can play around with it. It's, it's yeah. 12 Angry Men, but you could put, you could make it a black man. It's been right. done in all black men. It's it could be 12 women. women. Exactly, so, exactly. It's there's timeless. So many, there's so many ways that you can sort of kind of mold this to whatever situation you're in. I so, love it. So, so, so 
Go, go ahead. Uh, I don't. I don't have any more on this film. What is our film for next week? Um, well, it's another movie. Like I, I love the way you and I sort of make our selections. Because right. I give a good one, you give a bad one. You're right. You're right. No, I'm just kidding. I kid. But you want us to see the great movies. That's or right. You want us to see the important movies. The or, big- or it could be a bomb, but it's got to be so bad it's good. That it's well, it's, it's, it's somewhere in between. I like cult films a lot, but I do prefer the classics. But but I like to, the movies that I select are the movies that didn't win any awards but are still good smaller movies that maybe a lot of notice or have some value. And so what I do, decided to do, and is I wanted to maybe take a step into the woke movement. Yeah. This is a movie I just caught the other day. I watched it. It's um, Get on the Bus by Spike Lee, where uh, the uh, a busload of black men drive yeah. get on the bus and drive to the Million Man March. And I, there's some interesting things that I really want to discuss in terms of what's happening in our society today. Got so it. until then, we are two peas in a podcast. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the five lows. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall.